Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Stephen. And now we're recording an emergency podcast in reaction to the Sue Gray update and Boris Johnson's response. So we've finally had something from Sue Gray. It's an update uh, on her inquiry into all the gatherings that have been taking place at number 10. We thought that it might be a bit of a damp squib and just a, a completely filleted version of the full report. And it is a completely filleted version, but it's still pretty damning in what it says. And I think that the main thing that, that proves that is that she confirms that 12 uh, of the gatherings that we've been reading about in the press over the past few weeks are being investigated by the Metropolitan Police. So that means they meet that pretty high bar for potential criminal behaviour. And the Prime Minister was up in the Commons to respond to this report. Now, it's quite a dramatic session. It's actually ongoing as we're recording this emergency podcast. He came to apologise. He said sorry and, and to promise to re- reform the way that Number 10 is set up. I want to say sorry. And I'm sorry for the things we simply didn't get right and also sorry for the way that this matter has been handled. And it's no use saying that this or that was within the rules and it's no use saying that people were working hard. This pandemic was hard for everyone. We asked people across this country to make the most extraordinary sacrifices, not to meet loved ones, not to visit relatives before they died. And I understand the anger that people feel. But Mr Speaker, it isn't enough to say sorry. This is a moment when we must look at ourselves in the mirror and we must learn. And while the Metropolitan Police must yet complete their investigation, and that means there are no details of specific events in Sue Gray's report, I, of course, accept Sue Gray's general findings in full. Keir Starmer then gave a brutal, detailed attack on the integrity of Boris Johnson in response. Mr Speaker, to govern this country is an honour, not a birthright. It is an act of service to the British people, not the keys to a court to parade to your friends. It requires honesty, integrity and moral authority. I can't tell you how many times people have said to me that this Prime Minister's lack of integrity is somehow priced in that his behaviour and character don't matter. I have never accepted that, and I never will accept that. 
whatever your politics, whichever party you vote for, honesty and decency matters. Our great democracy depends on it, and cherishing and nurturing British democracy is what it means to be patriotic. There are members opposite who know that, and they know the Prime Minister is incapable of it. The question they must now ask themselves is what are they going to do about it? They can heap their reputations, the reputation of their party, the reputation of this country on the bonfire that is his leadership, or they can spare the country from a Prime Minister totally unworthy of his responsibilities. It is their duty to do so. And even Johnson's predecessor, Theresa May, didn't hold back. Quiet. Theresa May. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The COVID regulations impose significant restrictions on the freedoms of members of the public. They had a right to expect their Prime Minister to have read the rules, to understand the meaning of the rules, and indeed those around, them to have done, around him to have done so too, and to set an example in following those rules. What the Grey Report does show is that Number 10 Downing Street was not observing the regulations they had imposed on members of the public. So either my right honourable friend had not read the rules, or didn't understand what they meant, and others around him, or they didn't think the rules applied to number 10. Which was it? In fact, loads of MPs from his own side seemed to give less than full-throated support, including this very personal intervention from Aaron Bell, the MP for Newcastle under Lyme. It seems a lot of people attended events in May 2020. The one I recall attending was my grandmother's funeral. She was a wonderful woman. As well as a love for her family, she served her community as a councillor and she served Dartford Conservative Association loyally for many years. I drove for three hours from Staffordshire to Kent. Only ten people at the funeral, many people who loved her had to watch online. I didn't hug my siblings, I didn't hug my parents. I gave a eulogy and then afterwards I didn't even go to her house for a cup of tea. I drove back three hours from Kent to Staffordshire. Does the Prime Minister think I'm a fool? So bearing in mind, I know that everything's still up in the air and still carrying on. But how did you feel, Stephen, when you read the sort of interim report about Boris Johnson's standing? I'm aware I'm sounding like a bit of a stuck record on this one. But I guess my feeling upon reading it was that what happened is what I expect, which was that the Conservative Party has been in this sort of weird dream world of going, oh, we're waiting for the the report by Sue Gray. When one, uh, broadly, the... There was no universe in which Sue Gray's report was going to be the thing which caused people in the public who were angry about this to go, oh, OK, now a cabinet office official has said then there's nothing here to say, then I'm cool with that. That was obviously also highly unlikely to happen. But once you've got to a point where what they had found was sufficient for the police to say, yeah, we're going to open up an investigation, uh, I didn't think there was ever any way that today's report could not be a painful moment for the Conservative Party. I think in some ways you did slightly see the beginnings of the kind of realisation of, and this often happens, I think, when a party's in internal dispute, and they create these weird internal rules and metrics and really only make sense to themselves. And then the second they come into contact with, you know, the actual demands of voters or other political parties with agency, suddenly it's, oh, wait, this wasn't, this isn't a defensible line. And I think you know, we, we'll get into, I imagine, whether or not we think the Prime Minister will survive this. But ultimately, I, I guess I, I, I read it and I thought, oh, this is going to be a painful day in the office and for, for the Prime Minister. And uh, it clearly was and has been thus far.
Yeah, because we heard some of those clips earlier. Many people, many MPs on his own side have been making the point about the collision with reality, what that reality was like on all of those dates that everyone can now read on the House of Commons website. Those dates listed one after the other. What were you doing on that date? And MPs have been telling their own stories of what they were doing on those dates in direct contrast to what was happening at the heart of government. Like you say, that collision with reality, that's not something that's going to go away. And in fact, I think the longer that Boris Johnson stays and makes sort of his, he tries to sound contrite, but he just can't help the snark. He made that comment to Keir Starmer, you weren't, you were just head of prosecutions failing to go after Jimmy Savile, which sort of is a very alive and well conspiracy theory online amongst the right who um, who want to try and smear Keir Starmer. It's quite a low blow, but it's also quite snarky. And it just shows, I think, it exposes the problem that Boris Johnson has when he tries to show contrition, that it just isn't in his nature. I think he said, get Brexit done, a few sentences into his statement to the House. So I think as long as he carries on being him, and this is the big danger, people are going to remain being furious about the way that he took them took them as fools and so I think that's probably the big problem for him which is why the longer he clings on and this is I know we've already spoken about this argument that the Met that the Met are kind of complicit in helping him cling on or giving him a re- reprieve the worse it is actually for all of those MPs in the Commons sitting behind them desperately trying to support him because that reputation is going to bleed into the reputation of the party as a whole which we can already see in the polls and that will only be worse for them. Um, we've spoken about the, the local elections that are coming up. I think you're right. I think it's just the report, even though it's an interim update, does basically confirm what, what we've all thought, which is you thought it was one one rule for you and another for everyone else. Whether specific laws were broken or whether the Prime Minister was at X gathering or not, all those details are going to be secondary to that view of the party and of the government during the pandemic. And I don't think that's going to go away as long as Boris Johnson is at the helm. So I do think all of this delay, although you can see the frustration in the faces of opposition MPs, it it feels like it's a stay of execution. I think it's the best thing. It's the best thing probably that could happen for Keir Starmer's Labour Party. I understand that the longer that Boris stays on, actually, the better it is for him. It's, It's a sort of strange, perverse way that these things shake out. But yeah, I don't think that MPs will thank the flawed sort of establishment process for keeping Boris Johnson in place longer than is necessary. Hello, it's Alva here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to The New Statesman with a very special offer. At the moment, you can subscribe from £1 a week. That's 12 weeks for £12 if you go to www.newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Yeah, the clips we've heard are they're, they're powerful in lots of ways, but in many ways, it's, it's, in, in the House of Commons, it, 
who is saying something is always more important than what they are saying and indeed why they're saying it. So like Theresa May, Andrew Mitchell, yes, Andrew Mitchell has been a long, had been a long-term supporter of Boris Johnson, but he is someone who, you know, if you were the conservative, either the, the chief whip or the actual, in some ways, chief whip in terms of the keep Boris Johnson leadership hopes alive, I Grant Chapson and Conor Burns, who were actually doing the, lots of the real heavy lifting there, you did not when Andrew mm-hmm. Mitchell stood up saying, oh, this is going to be great for us, lads. Ditto Theresa May, Mark Harper. That is the pre-existing problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in some ways, the kind of classic picture of the Conservative Parliament, well, the Downing Street parliamentary problem at the moment. Yeah, a man first elected in 2010, you know, became a junior minister late on in Theresa May, sacked by Boris Johnson. That's the sort of the face of their pre-existing instability. But of course, it is a problem that that pre-existing stability remains in place, didn't retreat. None of it went, oh, now we've had this before, I'm going to turn my sword into a ploughshare. That's obviously a problem. But then, yeah, there were loads of reasons why Aaron Bell saying what he said was a huge moment, a very moving and a very powerful question. But this is a guy elected in 2019 for, okay, yes, it's in Staffordshire. So it's a seat that has been trending towards the Conservative Party for some time. But nonetheless, this is someone with a relatively small majority who probably does owe the seat in large part the difference between them nearly taking it in 2017 and them taking it in 2019. A large part of that difference is Boris Johnson. Yeah, that, that is significant. And you have people, that type of MP going, actually, yeah, I feel comfortable taking a swing at you. But then actually, I think, yeah, the, the really striking thing was, is, yeah, I, you know, I was listening in the chamber and you're like, okay, Theresa May, usual suspect. Andrew Mitchell, usual suspect. Andrew James, that's a usual problem. But then you have Duncan Baker, another person who criticised. 2019 MP, it, 29 intake Conservative MP, safe seats, North Norfolk. You know, someone who, who you know, is a long-term leaver. Someone who you'd really hope would be, you know, would be supportive. Going, okay, look, when are we going to get the full findings? Because Sue Gray says she can't publish a meaningful report now. When are we going to get that? When you have Duncan Baker essentially saying, I see you didn't answer Diane Abbott's question, Prime Minister. Would you like another pass at it? (laughs) That is a problem. And then the supportive interventions were actually, I think, in different ways problematic. In pretty much all of them, you had Holly Mumby-Croft going, okay, thanks for the apology, but I'm really concerned about the cost of energy. You had, oh my God, I'm going to have... Um, a brain freeze in my handwriting. You had an indistinguishable scrawl MP saying, <laughs> <laughs> saying, yeah, look, you know, okay, this is great, Prime Minister, but when are you going to tackle the small boats? Ultimately, look, these are all problems which is not obvious and there's a solution. I think, particularly on channel crossings, the Conservatives got themselves into this real mess where you cannot effectively deliver zero people seeking to come here in search of a better life yeah like you just that's not particularly achievable the problem is they make it seem like the only acceptable answer is zero so it basically just means that story becomes this continual cycle of government sets promise government fails to meet promise immigration rises in salience that is why they trail labor on that i spoke to one fp today said you know they said look like my constituents will eat a lot of shit they said but they said but they will not you know like but they said they'll, they'll be, they'll, they would be fine if we didn't do the, the new playground or the new hospital. Or the new, but, but my voters will not tolerate the continual headlines about the channel crossings. Now, I think in terms of the, you know, 20 odd thousand votes that, that that MP in question got, they are, of course, wrong about the vast majority of the 20,000. 
But they are right, of course, to say that if at the next election the Labour candidate wins having gained, say, 2,000 votes on them, because they've lost 5,000 votes to the SOFA, to reform, to whatever parties of, of the very may stand in their constituency, that will be a large part of why. And I think the thing I was really struck by is this, and even the supportive questions, and it took a long time before there were supportive questions. As I say, the hostile questions were coming from all across the, the party. Then the supportive questions to the Prime Minister are very much just like, PM, I'm not angry about your parties, but could you maybe change the economy or the whole direction of your government or just everything else about you? And I think that is, in many ways, right, the subtext of the last, yeah, of everything since the Peppa Pig speech has basically been a large group of people in the Conservative Party going, oh, this sucks. Can we get rid of him? And the parties in many ways are just the text. And so you can move on from the text, but that subtext of people just wanting shot is not going away. Yeah, I noticed that actually in in even the supportive questions, because there were a few that were asking about how this new permanent secretary to lead number 10 will work, uh, which was part of Boris Johnson's kind of response to Sue Gray's critique of the structure of number 10. And I thought that was really interesting, because if people are holding their fire until they can see that sort of the the central operation will start working differently and when usually when people want things to start working differently they mean start working for them i.e you know some of the things that you mentioned some actual action on the policies that they and their constituents are concerned about that's what they mean and I don't think that's what they're going to get I think anyone who has worked at any workplace will know that the that the tone and the way that the workplace works is dictated by the person at the top and Boris Johnson is not going to change the way that he works now because he is a man who constantly has these replenishing nine lives so why would you know why if you constantly be given being given these these lifelines would you change the way you work because nothing's stopping you changing and you could see it in his face whenever someone stood up to say something from the Tory benches attacking him he just looks so wounded you know, he just wants to please people and he will continue making those kind of promises on small boats or whatever the sort of policy blitz operation red meat subject is to whichever caucus of MPs he's meeting and it won't come off because he is just a people pleaser and he won't be able to follow up on those promises he makes so I think if people are reluctant relying on number 10 or Downing Street or the cabinet office changing the way it works so that it works for them. I think they'll be waiting a long time for that. And that will just constantly be degrading the already pretty poor relationship between Boris Johnson and, and his MPs. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleague Stephen Bush. We're produced by Adrian Bradley and May Robson, and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.